Hi everyone, welcome to Red, White, and Confused. I'm your host, Heather Evans. This week begins a three-part series with students at UVA Wise who are actually in charge of producing the show for the next three weeks. These are students from my media and politics class, and we hope you enjoy the content. Hello and welcome to today's student segment of Red, White, and Confused, Presidents to Love or Hate. My name is Nick Martin. I'm a student athlete and political science major here at UVA Wise. Today, we will be discussing whether or not the media moves public opinion about the president. I'm joined here today by my co-host, Emma Duty and Olivia Owens, who will introduce themselves now. Hi, I'm Emma Duty, a political science major here at Wise and a member of the 3 plus 3 program with the Appalachian School of Law. Hello, my name is Olivia Owens. I'm a political science major here at WISE, and I am an intern for the WISE County Courthouse. It's Dr. John R. Zoller, the author of Monica Lewinsky's Contribution to Political Science. Dr. Zoller is a political science professor at UCLA. This article reflects on the scandal between President Clinton and Monica Lewinsky and how his presidential approval ratings were affected by this. Thank you for being here with us today, Dr. Zoller. Uh, Dr. Zeller, the first question I would like to ask you is, in this article, you mentioned that the first two days of coverage on the scandal affected Clinton's public support, but by the following Monday, he had gained everything he lost. What made this happen? Uh, well, uh, I, it's, uh, it's just one incident, um, so it's hard if you have just one case of something happening, it's hard to, to be definitive about what that was. Uh, what you'd like to have is a lot of cases with a common pattern. But in this article that I wrote uh, in 1998, uh, I tried to look at, at, uh, at the Klinsky, at the Lewinsky-Clinton uh, scandal in, li- in real time. It was still going on at the time that I wrote, and j- just to see what it seemed to look like. Uh, and what it looked like at that time was that, was that, as you said, that the, that the media weren't having a big influence on public opinion. Clinton was actually even doing better uh, as the story developed, uh, and it was not a positive story about him at all. And so I, I was saying, well, what does this seem to mean? And what I said, you know, based on this one case at that, you know, in real time, was that it looks like the, the public was not responding very much to what the media were saying, and must have been responding to something else. And so I noted that conditions at the time, what I call political substance at the time, was very favorable to Clinton. The economy was strong. The country was at peace. Uh, he had struck a more moderate uh, pose in the positions that he was taking in politics as president. And I thought that the public seemed to be caring more about what I was calling their political substance than about what the media uh, were talking about. But again, it was one case in real time, and so there is a question whether it it generalizes. Would you say that Clinton's televised denial of the affair and Hillary's appearance on the Today Show is another aspect that positively affected his public opinion rating? Well, again, it's one case, a couple of speeches. His his, uh, popularity or approval ratings did go up uh, shortly after Hillary made uh, her uh, very strong defense of him. So that's consistent with the idea that it helped. But again, I have to say only weakly consistent. If we saw a series of scandals like that in which that always happened, then we would be confident. Uh, at, at the, with, with what we have right there, it, it's consistent, but you know, we'd really we'd like to have more data. If the scandal had occurred today with the hashtag MeToo movement, 
How do you feel the media coverage and approval rating would have changed? Uh, she was a, an adult woman and had a right to do what she did. If they had taken that position, it only would have only would have would have helped. Uh, if it, if it were uh, so, you say if this was happening, if so this is happening today. Uh, does that mean that Clinton is president, that Bill Clinton is president again, or if it happened to Joe Biden uh, under the current circumstances, what would happen? I'm sorry. I'm sorry to uh, um, kind of question the premise, but it's it, there's a whole bunch of new variables that are being uh, introduced into the into the question, and so it's it's hard. It was it was you know hard on the basis of that set of variables then 25 years ago to say what would happen if you add one more ingredient to the same set of uh, today when something similar might have been going on. Uh, probably uh, a movement like uh, Me, Me Too at Me, uh, would, 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 be, would have an effect, uh, but it would be very hard, again, with, if we just had one more case today uh, and you threw Me Too into the mix to know what the effect of Me Too was with all of the things going on. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to be so. Maybe you might think Weasley about this, uh, but uh, again, I it was a I, it was something that I wrote, you know, 25 years ago uh, in real time, and uh, haven't been studying uh, uh, this this subject since that time. The reason that I that I did it at that time, uh, I, I think that the uh, that the political science environment that I was writing into at that time. Uh, was um, a little bit different. And I thought that it needed a corrective to say that substance matters. I think that maybe political scientists and maybe media pundits too would be uh, more sophisticated uh, today. I'll, I'll say one thing that would be a big difference from today is that, uh, is that the uh, is a, uh, political polarization is, is much stronger today. That is, Democrats are more dug in as Democrats and Republicans are more dug in as Republicans. And so it's not clear how much, you know, there might have been less public opinion up for grabs if it were to happen today than back in the 90s when there were more, when people were more, a little more independent in their orientation. So that's that's a reason to think that it might have mattered even less. So there's one thing that I, uh, uh, I might mention here, and that was during the 19, during the 2016, presidential election, there was the, the famous Access Hollywood uh, recording of Donald Trump. Uh, just if your viewers aren't familiar, Donald Trump had been, was, was recorded unknown, you know, to himself, uh, talking in a kind of a, uh, of a locker room uh, style about how his attitude towards women and how you could, how you could, if you were a famous person like he was, you could do all kinds of things to them. And, uh, and, and you could just do it. You could get away with it. It was, uh, I think, uh, a, a much more, much worse. I mean, what, what, Lewin, what, you know, Clinton and Lewinsky did was not great, but that was worse. Trump was, was, it was in his own voice and he was bragging about it and everybody could just hear it. So the effect on public opinion was, was pretty similar to what it was for Bill Clinton and Lewinsky gate that, that I don't, I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but, you know, he mostly recovered or maybe fully recovered. Uh, from something that was uh, a much more, I would say, dire kind of thing that he did, and uh, th this was this was in the middle of a presidential election, uh, not just the middle of a president's term. You spoke about uh, the approval ratings of Trump in 2016 with his scandal. 
How do you think this affected his approval? Well, the short term of it was it was during a presidential election, uh, and so what it supported was what it affected was the level of voter support for him in in the upcoming election, and the effect was negative. His effect, uh, his his uh, support level fell. I I don't remember right now how much it fell, but it was definitely a hit. But uh, within about a week or ten days, it had recovered, and he went on to to do about as well in the actual election in November as he had been doing uh, at the time that they um, that the incident occurred. With these, with both of these scandals, do you feel that the media's constant covering of these of these occurrences really affect public opinion just for the moment, or do you think it has a lasting effect on their presidency? Well, the um, this would be a question that uh, I would have to to do a, a systematic research in order to answer, as I'd have to look at. Uh, a lot of scandals for a lot of presidents, uh, just to see how much difference it made. And I, I haven't, I haven't done that. But it can, it, uh, one of the bigger effects that it can have, uh, is an effect not on public opinion, but on what you might call elite politics. So in the case of, uh, of Clinton and Lewinsky, uh, the scandal emboldened the Republicans and they went on to impeach him. Uh, to hold, you know, in the House of Representatives, uh, they voted to impeach him, and then there was a Senate trial. And the effect of that was it kind of took up the whole last two years of uh, President Clinton's administration. So at the elite level, uh, it was a huge effect. It just dominated the rest of Washington politics. Uh, in the case of, of, of President Trump, or he wasn't then President, candidate Trump, he almost, I don't know if he almost dropped out of the race, but his advisors some of his advisors were telling him that he should drop out of the race. This was hopeless. Uh, he, he, was, he, was, he was dead in the water, and he should just get out of the way so that the party could come back with, I guess it would have been Mike Pence, the vice president, as their candidate, and then maybe have a chance to win the election. Uh, Trump did not agree to do that. Uh, if, he had, if he had gone along with many of his top advisors, I'm not sure if it's many or some, I, I haven't made a count of his advisors, but some of his closest advisors were definitely telling him he needed to drop out. Uh, and he said no. But if he had dropped out, that would have been, again, a huge effect at the elite level. And so that, so, so these things do have effects at the elite level. As to their long-term effects on public opinion, as I say, that would be a study somebody could do. I haven't done it. In your professional opinion, why, um, why do Americans hold the president to such a higher standard than others? And should they do so? Well, from, from both of these incidents, it would appear that it's the media, that both of these incidents being the, uh, the, the Access Hollywood and, and Lewinsky matter, it would appear that it's the media holding the president or trying to hold the president to a higher standard. In both cases, the voters continued their support uh, for the candidate. And the argument that I made was that, uh, that, they, that the voters in, in 1998 and, and perhaps again in 2016 uh, were interested in, in, in the major political issues of the time, not in the personal morality of the president. Uh, so um, so that's, that's what it looks like to me is happening. Um, have you found any evidence that has shown Donald Trump's presidency affecting the way Americans view the presidential office? Uh, no, I'm sorry, I, I haven't done research on that question. One of the reasons, though, that I, I 
haven't done research on that question. I used to, in 1998, um, I was a, a specialist in public opinion. And uh, partly because of the, that 1990 article on Lewinsky, where I said that public opinion seems to be uh, more affected by substance than what really happens in, in politics than by media frenzies and symbolic things. I said, like, why should I study public opinion? Why don't I study how laws get passed and what affects that and what affects that? So I've kind of moved from studying public opinion to, to studying more the substance of, of politics because of my feeling uh, that, that, that uh, the public opinion doesn't really drive outcomes as much as I, I think, and others thought at that time. For those of you who are just joining us, we have just concluded our discussion with Joan Zeller, a political science professor at UCLA and the author of Monica Lewinsky's Contribution to Political Science. Dr. Zeller, thank you for being here with us today. It was great to have you on the show. Second guest will be Dr. Jason B. McConnell, the co-author of It's the War, Stupid, Determinants of Retrospective Evaluations of American Presidents, and an assistant professor of political science at the University of Wyoming. This article reflects on the president's approval after they have left office and what makes the outcome. Thank you for being here with us today, Dr. McConnell. My first question for you is that in the article, you stated that public opinion of the presidents after they have left is primarily based on whether or not they were tangled in an unpopular military conflict. What steps did you take to come to this conclusion? Well, so actually... um... The article that I co-authored with my partner, Jim King, in 2020 was a follow-on to a much earlier article that he'd done on a similar topic. And so following up on that earlier work that he and some other folks had done, political scientists, not just us, but other folks in the field, were very interested in things that influenced um, public opinion of presidents long after they left office. And so kind of the long-running theory was that it was some combination of economics and foreign affairs, very specifically wars. And so what Jim and I determined, um, analyzing some Gallup poll data, um, Gallup's been asking basically the same questions for a very, very long time, asking people to uh, give their approval rating of a president, uh, not only while they're in office, but then afterwards. And so what he and I did was compare the time series data of that uh, approval rating to whether or not the president had gotten the nation involved in a war that was not very popular. And so that's a really meaningful distinction to make, popular war versus unpopular war. Um, If a president gets us involved in unpopular wars, then generally um, that's going to negatively impact their public opinion ratings forever, ever, uh, for a really long time. We see that kind of thing just linger on and on. Um, In regards to the last question, were Nixon's presidential approval ratings different from Bill Clinton's in the fact that they both had scandals in their presidencies, uh, but Nixon was involved with the Vietnam War? Yeah, so actually, I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, the Nixon-Clinton comparison is really great to illustrate the point of the article. So you're exactly correct in uh, pointing out that both of those presidents were embroiled in all sorts of scandals. Uh, very specifically for Nixon, most folks think of Watergate. With uh, Bill Clinton, we think of Monica Lewinsky and scandals like that. 
And so what would account then for the difference in retrospective approval being so different? Generally, we see Bill Clinton uh, trucking along just fine in terms of approval ratings after office. And yet Nixon stay very dismal for a long, long time. Uh, both presidents were impeached. Um, neither were removed from office. And so, you know, we really do believe it was the war. Uh, it was Nixon's, um, Nixon's entanglement in Southeast Asia and Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, that sort of thing. While speaking of Nixon, we know his presidency was laced with many scandals and questionable occurrences. Did you see the economy during this time play a role in Nixon's approval ratings? Or was his ratings due to the Watergate scandal and the Vietnam War? So based on our statistical analysis, it doesn't seem as though um, economic factors matter as much. Um, and you can see that both in Nixon's time uh, in office and then his retro approval later. Um, you can also see it across other presidents where if there was some sort of um, negative, uh, negatively perceived conflict, military conflict, uh, that seems to eclipse all other, all other thoughts in Americans' minds. Uh, as Jim and I sit around and talk about this sort of thing, uh, just the two of us, something we talk about very frequently is that um, the legacy of an armed conflict just lingers. Uh, people are wounded. People are killed. Frequently, it fundamentally changes the way people view the world around them. And yet, if we think about economic cycles, those tend to look more like a roller coaster. There are ups and downs, uh, and those cycles tend to come more frequently than some sort of meaningful conflict. We know the media played a huge role in the Watergate scandal. Do you think if it hadn't, Nixon wouldn't have gotten in trouble to the extent that he did? That's a very, very interesting uh, line of thought to me. Uh, simply because we can point back to presidential administrations throughout U.S. history, and very, very few of them are really free of scandal. And yet in the modern media era, uh, the era of television, and then it goes much farther. And, uh, you know, I don't know about y'all, but sometimes those scandals get right in my pocket as apps on my phone, you know, push them to my attention. It's very, very interesting. You know, would, would Nixon have been forced to resign if the media hadn't really jumped all over the Watergate scandal? It's hard to say. You also said that war had a huge impact on the retrospective approval rating of presidents. Which war did you see have the biggest impact on that? In our study, it sure does look like Vietnam was the big one. Um, that's not exactly surprising to me. Uh, the conflict was very long. Uh, it had a very high toll in terms of lives lost. Um, and think of everything that you know about U.S. culture. What was going on domestically in the United States during the conflict? Uh, we see the civil rights movement. Uh, we see protests of the war. We see all sorts of reactions to those protests and things like that. Uh, so Vietnam actually has all sorts of impacts on U.S. politics and U.S. culture broadly. And I think we see those impacts really lingering in the retrospective approval ratings of the presidents that occupied the office during the conflict. So think about who that would have been. Um, not necessarily John Kennedy, 
his assassination certainly you know eclipsed everything else that most folks think of with the Kennedy administration, uh, except for maybe the Bay of Pigs, but that's a whole other thing. Um, but beyond Kennedy, who you have? LBJ, Nixon. Okay, so think about all of the things those two presidents attempted to do while in office, and yet Vietnam looms large. Uh, Also, all of the protests and counter-protests and things like that that happened domestically. All of the factors around the Vietnam conflict seem to be so much greater than anything else we see. You know, certainly we we looked at some other conflicts that – you know, weren't necessarily seen as being all that popular in public opinion. Um, You know, the next one I would point you to would be something like Korea. Um, You know, Harry Truman, not exactly, um, you know, America's favorite former president. And so we see that same dynamic play out across conflicts and across presidents. But I think the I think the direct answer to your question would have to be Vietnam. Uh, That was the biggest one that we ran across. With regards to the Russia-Ukraine crisis, do you think President Biden's involvement will show positively or negatively in his presidential approval ratings? My, uh, my partner and I, uh, Jim King and I, have been talking about is Afghanistan. So Afghanistan's America's longest-running military conflict. So think of all the presidents who occupied the office while the U.S. was active militarily in Afghanistan. Okay. Uh, George W. Bush, uh, Barack Obama, uh, Donald Trump, Joe Biden. So, you know, Afghanistan is not a popular conflict by any stretch. Uh, Jim and I had talked very frequently about doing a follow-up article looking at how Afghanistan impacted um, Bush 43 and then Trump, and oh, I'm sorry, then Obama and then Trump. But now your question is on the right track. What about conflicts like uh, Russia in Ukraine? Our analysis only looked at uh, conflicts where the U.S. was a direct combatant, a direct belligerent in the conflict, actual members of the U.S. military in the uniform involved in combat. And so, you know, I, so far we haven't seen that in Ukraine. Will we in the future? Holy cow, I don't know. Um, maybe, I hope not, Uh, but we'll see. Do you think if this had occurred before the various forms of conflicting and opinionated media, Biden would be getting more praise for his sanctions and efforts than he is? So there's a, there's a dynamic in American politics, uh, and very specifically, uh, the media's interplay with American politics. There's a dynamic known as the rally around the flag effect. And so you can look at a president's approval ratings and how they change from before some sort of conflict to after the United States is embroiled in it. And so a classic example would be something like uh, George W. Bush before 9-11 and then shortly after the 9-11 terrorist attacks. uh, Think about all of the images of President Bush in the news you know, speaking with firefighters at Ground Zero in New York City, think about all of those images pushed out by the mainstream media. And then if you were to do some sort of deep dive on public opinion ratings, you'd see that the president enjoyed a bump, an uptick in public approval uh, in that moment. 
Now, that sort of dynamic is not exactly unique to former President Bush. Uh, we see things like that with Ronald Reagan. Uh, we see it. Uh, we see it with a number of presidents throughout history. Your question asked very specifically about partisan media and that sort of thing. Something I find really interesting about that rally around the flag effect is, um, at least historically, it had been nonpartisan. Uh, historically, if the United States was involved in some sort of military conflict, uh, media across the political spectrum would start talking very favorably about the administration and uh, America's involvement. In that sense, it's not all that different from what we see Congress doing. Um, I, my newsfeed showed me just recently that uh, a bipartisan coalition in Congress approved another arms deal with Ukraine to respond to Russia's invasion. So notice it wasn't uh, Republicans and Democrats in Congress taking opposing views. Instead, it was them working together on this uh, military national security issue. And so historically, we've seen things like that play out in the media too. But um, President Bush certainly saw uh, certain media outlets be very critical uh, about some of the things that played out during the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and so I think you're right to be asking the question about partisan media dynamics and how they reflect on something like a rally around the flag moment. My own personal hot take is these days you see much, much less variance in the mainstream media. So think about mainstream broadcast media, ABC, CBS, NBC, uh, mainstream cable networks, CNN, MSNBC, Headline News, Fox. You see much, much less variance there among those media outlets than you would if you jumped out into the wilds of the Internet and started looking at other uh, other media outlets that would be vastly more partisan um, and actually correspondingly have a much narrower audience for their message. We know that before President Biden's time in office, his predecessor, Donald Trump, had a following that was very intense and bound to dislike Biden. Did you see anything like this occur with past presidents? I would point you to something like uh, something like Franklin Roosevelt and FDR's fireside chats in the 30s during the Depression. FDR and the New Dealers had a very specific agenda they were pursuing. And by that, I'm referencing not just uh, President Roosevelt. I'm also referencing members of his party who supported the New Deal policy platform in, uh, in Congress. And so it's not that radio was new. Um, back when I was younger, I probably could have told you when Marconi first, uh, you know, developed some sort of functional radio setup. But now the year escapes me. Radio had been around for a while, but I'm mentioning FDR in the fireside chats now because FDR was the first president to make use of that relatively new technology to bypass other channels of communication and talk directly to the people. Uh, FDR had a very famous row where he was very, very combative with news, major newspapers across the country who simply did not like New Deal policy. So going on the radio with these fireside chats uh, gave Franklin Roosevelt an opportunity to speak directly to the American people. Anyone who had a radio could tune in and listen to the president directly. 
I think that's the closest analog we have to uh, what we saw President Trump do with Twitter. Um, certainly, social media was not new during the Trump presidency. Barack Obama very famously um, ran a, a Twitter handle, a Twitter account. But that being said, Donald Trump was the first president we saw be so active on social media. And much like you said, it wasn't just him talking out into the void. Uh, it was fairly interactive in a way that we had not seen before. I waited with a bit of uh, curiosity to see if President Biden was going to follow up with that trend. Uh, so far, it certainly doesn't seem like that. Um, this administration has taken a different approach with social media. But uh, I don't think social media is going away anytime soon. I'm very curious to see what President Biden's successor will do with social media, regardless of who that is. Maybe President Biden gets reelected. Maybe he doesn't. Uh, maybe it's another Democrat. Maybe it's a Republican challenger. We'll see. Uh, either way, I'm very curious to see what the next step is in White House communication. Thank you for coming on the show, Dr. McConnell. It was great to have you. Also, on behalf of myself and my co-host, thank you to those who have listened to today's podcast, and thank you to Dr. Evans for having us. If you have missed any piece of the broadcast today, you can catch up again anytime on Spotify or iTunes. Have a great week.